I hope you have um, special times at church that are very memorable for you. I have a very vivid memory. I've shared some of my stories with you, just things I remember from my childhood and uh, from church. I can still remember as a kid in elementary school going with my dad to a prayer breakfast at a church, men's prayer breakfast. And uh, we came together, we would eat and pray, and then we actually did some work, and there was a ton of guys there. And uh, I still, that's burned into my memory, all those men gathered together. Some of our most memorable times uh, are with family. Maybe it's a, uh, a Christmas time that you remember, um, Thanksgiving, a birthday party, uh, a church thing that you did, going to uh, church with family. Uh, maybe it's a vacation. And uh, so those are things that they burn into our mind. And we smile when we think about those things, don't we? Um, you go through pictures. If you were to look through any pictures, if you go through an old picture book that you have or through your phone, and you'll see yourself smiling, you're with family. Especially if you're putting together pictures for a memorial video for a funeral. You're going through all these pictures, and you have to sort through them, and you see your family member, and you see these family gatherings. And they're smiling, you know, because they're good things. I have grown fond of Facebook's um, memories on Facebook, if you have an account with Facebook. From time to time, they'll throw up a memory. Sometimes it's something embarrassing, but sometimes it's, it's like we ha we've had a Facebook account since 2008. And all of a sudden, boom, something will show up over 10 years ago, you know. And um, you're smiling with your family. You can look back and see when your kids were littles. Uh, and it's a good thing. It's a, a very special time that you remember with family. Now, obviously, during the time of Christ, uh, they didn't have technology to take pictures of everything. What they did have is a very vivid memory. And they had a high capacity for memorization. Later, they would write the things down that Christ did. And over time, there would be artists that carved sculptures that represented Christianity and some of the things historically that have happened. Um, carvings and artwork throughout history. Uh, you would see these things over time that were, would document the things that have happened in the biblical history. One of the most famous pictures in Christian history is that of the Last Supper, painted by Leonardo da Vinci. It has been captured, a, it had captured a sacred moment of Jesus with the disciples. Um, actually, this has been colorized a little bit. The original is faded, and I put this here for you guys to kind of look at. Look at. Uh, my grandparents had a tapestry on the wall by the dinner table of the Last Supper. I still remember that, coming to meet and be with my grandparents, and there it was, the Last Supper. Now, they all didn't sit on one side of the table. <laughs> uh, the painting is there for you to see all the disciples together, to see their faces and their expressions. It's to teach us something about that moment in time. And church, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, at this point in the narrative, in the life of Jesus, now, if you ever hear me say, in the story, so a lot of people in our culture say, well, they're just stories, and by stories, they mean fictional stories. When we say the word story, it's from the word historia, from history. So when we say story, it doesn't mean fiction, it means history. So when we're going through this, a lot of times we, we try to correct ourselves and we say narrative, uh, but it is story, it is history, it is narrative, and we are going through the narrative, the history of the life of Jesus. 
And at this point, and what we've been building to from the beginning in the life of Jesus, he has come to a place where he has set his face toward Jerusalem. Uh, we've learned that in the Scriptures, that where we are in the story, He is in Jerusalem. But never forget that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. From His birth, He knew that He was going to die. He knew that this was His mission as He has come into the world. And at this point, uh, the time has come. God's sovereign plan is coming to a place where Christ is going to the cross and He is going to die for the sins of the world. And his mission, again, is to seek and to save the lost. And he has, made his move, he has made his move toward Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, at that point in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says this, When the days drew near for him to take, uh, be taken up, he set his face toward Jerusalem. So from that point in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is slowly working through the towns and working his way back to Jerusalem for his final time. Luke 13, 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying where? Toward Jerusalem. Luke 17, 11 through 12, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. He was moving into Jericho. As he's approaching Jericho, he heals ten lepers. And in Jericho, who did he meet in Jericho? Zacchaeus. He went to Zacchaeus' home, and salvation had come. He passes through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And at this point, um, the Mount of Transfiguration has happened. The disciples saw Jesus, the few that were there, in all his glory. Uh, and, and what a wonderful moment. And the triumphal entry has happened. Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem, and all of these are behind him. And there comes a time when he's looking out at the city, and he actually begins to weep. When is the last time you've wept over lost loved ones? When is the last time you've wept over this city? Raise your hand if you've seen all the news this week and the gun situations happening here in Casper. Are you paying attention? We should be weeping for our city. They need Jesus. They need this message that Christ has given us to tell the world. At this point also, He has cleansed the temple. And I'm going to tell you, it needed cleansing. It was corrupt. And sometimes the church needs some cleansing. Uh, to move out the evil things that have moved in because this is to be about Jesus Christ and His mission to the world. And at this point, He was teaching in the temple daily. Uh, last week, or uh, as the culmination of the weeks here, of course, He was warning the people. He's teaching in the temples. He saw the woman that give the offering because He is in the temple and He's watching all these things happen. And his public ministry now is drawing to an end. There will be no more public teachings from Jesus. It will all be private with the disciples until the time of his arrest. Now he will say things publicly from the cross. But his public ministry is coming to an end. And he devotes his last hours to his disciples. And there's going to be this intimate time of prayer and uh, the last supper. And here it is where we are in the life of Jesus. It is the time of the Passover. And Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, is going to die on the cross. And I want you to know that He has done this for you. 
We've been going all the way through these scriptures and learning about Jesus Christ because he is coming to the world to teach you about who he is and tell you what he is doing for you and how you're to live for him, to remind you that he is coming again, that this is real. And these are the words of Jesus, and we get to hear him in his last moments speak to his disciples. So we recap here, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And when the hour had come, the hour for his death and the hour for the Passover time. Now I want you to know um, that Christ, God is sovereign. He's working things toward his plan. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to deliver those who are under the law. That is a, a prophecy or the t- teaching of Paul about Jesus Christ. There was a fullness of time. There was a plan that God has, a sovereign plan. And when the hour came... He reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Three meals that we need to learn about in the scripture. One, the Passover, a meal that the Jews were doing. The last supper that is instituted by Jesus Christ and the marriage supper. That if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we go to sit at the table with him in glory. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We have communion, it's always done, in remembrance of who Christ is, what he has come to do. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, that it was shed for you. Let's pray together today. God in heaven, we, uh, we thank you for the memories that you give us. We thank you that you gathered with your disciples to teach them to remember these things. And that we were to continue to do these things, to remember what you had done, for you to be present with us. Lord, for us to remember that you are coming again. And Lord, today we just pray that people sense your presence. That they truly know that everything that you have done was to be with them. That they may be with you. That you did this for us. That your body was broken for us. That your blood was shed for us that we may restore the relationship with God, that we may have eternal life. And I pray today that we recapture that passion, a passion for you that that's our priority, everything about God, and that we have the passion of the mission again, that what you've done for us is not for us only, but the entire world, and that we share this good news and that you bless your words as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. And church, at this point, we've learned a lot about Jesus. The journey through the life of Jesus has been very robust. Uh, A lot of deep theological uh, things that we've gone through. It's a theological endeavor to follow the life of Jesus and hear his teachings. And Jesus, whom you've been following, has set aside time uh, to spend with the disciples. And I want you to know, presently, God still wants to spend time with you. It's not that he wanted to be with the disciples, but he doesn't want to be with you. He always wants to be with his disciples. And now Jesus will institute the Lord's Supper, and there's a few things we need to learn together 
And then we will also take part in the Lord's Supper together today. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus truly wants to be with you. Again, verses 14 through 16, And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Uh, This is Christ's third time in Jerusalem, his third uh, Passover time, that is, in the ministry and teaching of the disciples. Uh, This uh, wonderful time had arrived, and I want you to see today that Jesus truly wanted to be with the disciples. I think that's awesome that Jesus set aside time and he tells the disciples, I have earnestly desired to do this with you. Isn't that awesome? It's very intimate. The the Lord of heaven, the Son of God, desired to do this with the disciples. The time came, he reclined at table with the disciples, and he makes a point of informing them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you. Now that is significant. These are Jesus' last hours. He wants to spend it with the twelve, and typically the Passover was done with family members. We believe the first two Passovers, they would go home during the Passover time and, and do the Passover with their family. At this time, Jesus is gathering them to be a part of the Passover with him. Uh, it was established over 1,200 years ago, give or take, uh, during the Passover and the Exodus. We know of the Israelites who were in captivity, or in, in, they were slaves in Egypt, uh, and then Jesus, God made this way for them to be delivered. They were to take a lamb. If you were to go back and read Exodus chapter 12, you'll see that you were to take a lamb. You were to take it for your entire family. The lamb, they would say also, they were to cut it up. They were to eat the lamb. They were to take the blood and put it over the door, on the doorpost. This was the Passover as God came through. And I want you to remember, God came through in wrath to kill the firstborn of all of Egypt. And the only thing that delivered them from the wrath was the blood. That the blood had to be there. And they wanted the blood to be there. And they wanted to internalize this sacred lamb that represented Christ. And here, uh, he told the two leading disciples to get the Passover meal ready. If you go back and want to read the, the text there, by doing this, he created um, the twelve disciples now are part of Jesus' family. They went and did Passover with their family. Now he, they are part of the family of God. They are part of the family of Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, we are called servants. But Jesus took the disciples aside at one point and said, I no longer call you servants, and I call you friends. It's this growing intimacy with Jesus Christ. It's, we are servants, but we are also friends of God, and we are also part of the family of God. We are doing this as a family. They had forsaken their own families and joined the new family of God. Luke tells us this, or Jesus tells us in Luke 18, 28, Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. We've given up on all those other things. We are following you now. You are the master. You are the teacher. And now they're becoming part of his family. um, Serving Jesus had taken the highest priority. And severing from the family, their earthly families, that is, Jesus makes it clear that our priorities have to shift as we follow him. Now, don't get me wrong, your family is important. I want you to hear this. You want to lead your family to Jesus Christ, but your family cannot hijack the kingdom priority. You have to lead your family to Jesus Christ. 
That is the high priority. In any given moment, I don't know where you know, your family and where they are in their walk, but there's always going to be interruptions. Hey, let's go do this thing from the spiritual things. There's always distractions. At this point, they had severed those relationships from their families. It is that Jesus is the most important. They are to follow him at this point. And I think we should do everything to lead our family to Jesus Christ. But if you're not careful, your family will lead you away from Christ if they're not following Jesus as well. Even Paul says this in the New Testament. This is fascinating. Paul says marriage is worldly. Did I talk to you guys about that? Why did he say that? Because you can get married and all of a sudden your spouse becomes the priority. And it's about pleasing them. But if you don't do this under God, they can pull you away from the kingdom priority. Your kids can want to do all kinds of things all the time, and they can pull you, and it becomes a worldly situation if you don't set the kingdom priority first. Your family is important, but the kingdom and the spiritual family matters more than those who reject God on earth. I love my family. I have family members that have rejected the kingdom. I'm not going out of my way to spend time with them. They don't decide my plan. I want to win them to Jesus, but they are not making the calls. They don't decide. Matthew 12, 50, Jesus told the disciples, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. The will of God is the high priority now. That's what matters most. Paul would say this, 2 Corinthians 6, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, we are doing the mission. We do life with sinful people, but we are trying to win them to Jesus. The world wants to win you away from Jesus. You have to distinguish, am I being yoked in a relationship with somebody that is pulling me away from God? How can we be equally yoked with darkness? I am of light now. I can't hang out with people living in sin and doing what they do. And what we've, we've said today, and I think I've said this in the past, that Jesus partied with sinners and what we're trying to say is that Jesus was actually doing life exactly like everyone else, and he wasn't. He was going to win people to himself. He went to parties. He didn't get drunk like everyone else. He wanted to build a relationship to win them away from sin. And then now, if you're weak in the flesh, you do not need to go into situations that are going to pull you away from Jesus. Here it is in Castro, all these work parties everybody has. What do they offer at the work party? Get drunk, let's celebrate. We've been talking about that a lot because that is huge here in Casper. It's not just meth, it's alcohol. Alcohol is destroying lives. Let's get together and celebrate all the hard work we've done and how do you do it? Here's your ticket or whatever, how many drinks you can have. And you have your certain amount of drinks and then somebody brings some extra drink. Before long, everybody's stumbling around in a drunken party. A reunion, a high school reunion. Over time, some of the wicked ones slowly die off. I've talked to people in their 60s and 70s and 80s and they're doing life with people, and some of those still believe. Now, some of them don't, but some of the people ruin their lives. They still want, we, that, yeah, high school union, I can still act like I'm in high school, dude. They're, they're destroying their lives with drunken parties. Now, Christians, this is the deal. The Christian family is the most important. We have forgotten that in our culture. There was a shift that used to be church family was the high priority. Then it became sports and recreation and everything else pulled the family away from the church. And I am all for do the most that you can with, uh, with your family. Create those memories. But it can't be all these other things first. It has to be Christ first. Here's something to consider. Oftentimes people in church treat their church family as if they're strangers. 
but they're not. When I go out in town, there's, I can tell the people that love the pastor. There's the pastor. Meet so-and-so. Hey! There's the people that... There's the pastor. I know. You know. But there used to be a time... This family matters. I came to Wyoming because God called me here. I have family members I love in North Carolina, but that family doesn't take priority over the family of God. I'm doing what Christ has called me to do. We need to start elevating the family of God again, that this is the priority. Here's something else. Many in the 21st century, 21st century Christians skip church on a regular basis, and even when they're on vacation. They take a vacation from the family of God and from church. And here's the thing. Don't avoid fellowship. Don't avoid hearing the word of God. Uh, don't dodge hearing from Christ or dodging spending time with the family of God. And, and I love um, when we're traveling, we love to go to other churches because one, they're the family of God. And I get to meet people and people I know. And sometimes when we're in North Carolina, we, did, we visit the same church because we've done ministry with people there and we, we are excited to see them again. Uh, when we're traveling some other places, we visit new churches. Uh, I get to watch how they le- do worship, but you get to be among Christians. In the 21st century Christianity, here it is. I go out on vacation and I skip church. What are you really skipping? I encourage you this summer, as you prepare for vacation time, make time for God in your vacation. I want to tell you something a little deeper. This doesn't apply to everyone, but it applies to someone. Or some. I don't want to say someone, then they're going to say, they know who I am. (laughs) In your vacation, why do you dodge church? Because sometimes you're doing things on vacation you shouldn't. And you don't want to hear from God. I'm going to dodge that for a while because I'm going to get convicted about what we're doing. Uh, Make time and a priority for Jesus because that's the family of God wherever you are. I want to worship. I want to hear from God. I want to be with other Christians. Spend time with Jesus. Plan now to do that. And here for the disciples, this is a very unique family celebration. A Passover celebration with God's Passover lamb who is dying for the sins of the world. Jesus is now making his disciples part of the family. And here it is. Here's the deal. He wants to spend time with them. He wants to spend time with you. Why would I dodge the person who loves my soul, who loves me, and wants to spend time with me? Why would I ever avoid that? Why are people making worship the last thing that's important in our culture? Um, Jesus wants to be with his disciples. Jesus wanted to give them his time. Church, Jesus wants to be with you. He came into the world. The Word became flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, He has come to be with you. He wants to be with you right now. He wants you to hear from Him. The second thing I want you to see, this is done for you. Everything that Christ has done was to save sinners. Verses 19 through 20, And He took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is what? Given For you, it is something intimate. It is something special. Do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after. This is for you. And Jesus has now instituted the Lord's Supper. 
It was no longer the Passover lamb. He is now the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's telling us, this is done for you. This is the message of the gospel. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to rise again. I've come to to take away the sins of the world. This is the message for the world. Oftentimes we get caught up in different theological terms about um, the Last Supper, about communion. Transubstantiation. Have you heard that? That's a long... Why do they create words that long? I don't even speak that way. I speak somewhere down in here. I was telling Mike this morning, in the South, we don't even say South. We say South. I mean, we don't even bother to do the TH. It's what, whatever comes out, man. It's just... They have these deep theological terms, and the Catholic Church taught one, transubstantiation, um, that meant that when you take of the body and the blood, that it actually literally becomes Christ's body and blood. Now, I don't get hung up over that. Um, there's another one the Lutherans taught that Jesus is actually in the elements. He isn't the elements, but he's alongside the elements. It's called con transubstantiation. Another one of long words. Communion done different. That's what I call it. <laughs> um, but here it is. The whole idea is not about all of that. The whole idea is that he's done it for you. And He wants to be with you. So as we do this in intimacy, I want you to remember those things, that He does this for you. I'm going to ask Jay to come at this time as we prepare to close, and we will, we're going to have a time of prayer, and we're going to have a time of receiving um, the Lord's body and blood. He says this, This is my body, which is given for you. Jesus Christ's body was literally broken. He was whipped and beaten. He was nailed to a cross. It was done for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the the new covenant of my blood. It is done for you. And church, we were not the disciples of that time, but we are the disciples of today. And Christ has done this for you, but He has also done it for the whole world. And I want to remind you what the Apostle John says. He says, He is the propitiation for our sins. That means He is the substitution. He is the sacrifice for us. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. Now church, we're going to have a time of prayer before we receive the body and the blood. And I want to ask you to come and pray. So there's several things going on, and we usually do this as we remind people that all are welcome to the table of Christ. But sometimes there's things that have to be cleansed up or cleaned up. Um, that we should repent of the things that are pulling us away. So this morning, there's several calls that are happening at any given moment as we prepare to receive Christ. It's one, where are you in your walk and your faith? And as we come, maybe it's Lord, forgive me, I've done this this week, and I want to restore my relationship with you. Or maybe it is, I need to recommit my life to Christ. I've not been living for Christ the right way. Or maybe there's something else to come and pray about. But we're going to invite you to come to the altar as we prepare to take part in communion. Let's come and pray. song as we prepare to partake of his body and his blood. In the 1700s, there was a man named Ludwig Zinzendorf, awesome name, German, and he was a leader in the Moravian church, and he had gathered a group of various Christians on his own property, 
Uh, he was a rich man, but he was trying to do ministry with Christ, and there was this disputing among the believers. And he got them together, and he taught them to pray, to seek God, and that they were going to have communion together. And as they did, they began to weep over what they were disagreeing over. They began to realize, this is about Jesus. This is about his kingdom. So as we partake today, let's work and be in unity with Christ, but also with one another. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ is broken for you. Let it preserve you blameless into everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And church, be thankful. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is shed for you. Let it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, that he is coming again, and let's be thankful. As we close, let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Instead of trespasses, we're going to say those who have sinned against us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let's stand. Amen. Let's give God glory this morning. Praise His holy name. Amen. Church, you're loved by God. This was done for you. He wants to be with you. But go and tell others that he wants to be with them as well. Go in grace and peace. You are dismissed.